Good morning, family. This is what we do in Discovery. We read the newspaper. We still do. You see how we do it? Hey, uh, my name is Antonio Reyes, and I get to be part of the pastoral team in this community, and it's so good to have you with us this morning. Um, for the ones who uh, don't know me, you know, I usually tend to be very energized, walk back and forth. Um, today, I, I'm not going to be doing that. I woke up not feeling the best. So you get to have three weeks consecutively of pastors not feeling well in, those, in this stage. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. It's just how, how we roll, you know. But um, this morning, I get to continue our conversation uh, that we've been having on the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be... Uh, on the chapter number five, Mark chapter number five, if you have your, your Bibles with you, if not, we're going to have it here in our screen. And one of the things that I just want to bring us into before we jump into the story is this. We're told that Mark's stories about Jesus are coming from Peter, the apostle Peter. And I'm just trying to imagine what Peter is trying to tell Mark, oh yeah, I remember going through a storm and going through that side of the region and to Mark, oh yeah, we thought it was about him. We thought we were going to come, preach, set people free, kick uh, demons out. But it was not just about them. It was about us too. And this is how the story goes. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole story. I'm going to give you a Bible for the whole week if you haven't read your Bible in a whole month. But today, we're going to go through all these verses and we start in... Verse number one, they went across the lake of the region of Gerasenes, where Jesus got out of the boat, and men with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could buy him no more, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broken the irons of his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and, and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from the distance, he ran and fell on his knees uh, in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, your impure spirit, many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, along, along, uh, allow us to go out into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down to, this, to step back into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this into the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw this man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen and told the people who had what, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told the pigs as well, then the people begged to plead Jesus to leave the region. Have you ever traveled and bus? large distances. You know, one of the hardest and most uncomfortable places to travel long distances is in a bus. I don't know about you. When I was a kid, it was just the worst. I had to travel 12 hours because my dad 
uh, used to work far, far away from us, and we had to go, and, and, and once a year at least, we would have to travel 12 hours to go see my dad. And these buses were like made for I don't know who, because I was, no human being was, uncom was comfortable in that place. Can I just tell you that? Like, it's just no way. And I remember just going through, like, my first time traveling, and it was so uncomfortable going through the whole night in those buses. You know, later on, when you do it so often, it's not so bad, you know? You kind of learn how to deal with things. You, you learn how to eat in that, in that bus. You learn how to, like, go to the restroom for no reason, but just to stretch your legs, you know, just to make something in 12 hours. You learn how to, like, uh, put your, you, you go on one side of your body, and then you go to the other side to see, you know, you, if you get tired. But you just learn how to cope with everything that has happened in that place. It's not so bad after a while. You just learn how to navigate things. And I knew that this was part of, of my joy of going to see my dad. Because what was worth it was me interacting with him. I had to learn how to deal with disrupted moments in my life. Was born in one country, grow up in another one, come back to the country I was growing up, changing cultures, leaving behind friendships, rebuilding my life, heartbroken all the time. It was just part of my narrative. Disruption was part of my narrative. I was groomed by disruption and uncomfortable moments all the time, and that made me resilient. That made me a person who adapt fast in places. That made me a person who, who can develop relationships everywhere that I go. But it was, I know it was not normal, but I learned how to navigate things in my life with disruption. And I know that disruption can be dysfunctional. Tell me about it. I've been in... For 10 years, I've been seeing mentors and counseling sessions for 10 years. Trust me about this function. I get it. But nonetheless, I feel like we live in a culture where anything that comes to disrupt your comfort and my comfort, we right away see it as a threat. Anything that comes and disrupts your peace, uh, well, you work so hard in your life, oh, that's not good for your health. That's not good for your mental health. And I get it. But just... I will tell you this, then you won't like Jesus that much. Can I just say that? Can I, I have a suggestion today. Can you normalize disruption in your life? See, Jesus decides to go to this region, a place that was not normal for people like Jesus and the disciples. It was, it was, not an, it was an unusual territory. Polytheistic, have many gods. Uh, they didn't embrace the, the fundamentals of Jesus' spiritual, spiritual ancestors. They couldn't relate in many ways. Theologically, ethically, intellectually. But he decides to go and ride through a storm, which I would ask Jesus, Jesus, what, what is in the other side of this storm that you really want to go? Like, why do you want to put my life in the line for this thing? Like, I don't know what is the problem. That's just me being me. But notice, verse 3 and 4, Mark lets us know that there's a man that is causing disruption in this region. To the point that they got tired of him so much that they thought that the best thing they could do to him is to restrain him and to isolate him. This man was demon-possessed, according to the narrative of the Bible. And, and 
And because of this, he lost his peace. He lost his, his ability to have self-control uh, to the point that he would hurt himself. And they decide the best thing we can do to this man is put him on change, isolate him, exclude him from this region because he's causing a lot of harm in this place. See, as I was reading through some of the scholars of, of, of they were talking about, there's, there's a potential reason why they wanted to exclude him from the region. And probably had to do with economy because they were raising pigs and that was part of the deal in that location. And tell me, when was the last time you wanted to go to Target that had a demon possessed? Of course not. Who wanted to go and buy a Walmart something when you heard someone was going crazy? Of course not. But they decided that the best thing they can do is to treat this man inhumanely. To depersonalize this man. That the best way to deal with this guy is to to isolate him from all his people. And can I be honest? I don't, I don't think this is so off from our current culture. What do we do with people when we don't understand other people? What do we do with people that disagree with us? What do we do with people that we do not understand? We right away treat them as enemies. We right away treat them as adversaries. We right away treat them as rivals. We remove the face. We remove a name. We remove their humanity, and we depersonalize people. We don't, we don't see that they have a story behind. We don't see that they have hardships and, and, and they have challenges as well as us. We don't see that they have an upbringing. And this is what we do. And this is what sin does. It depersonalizes human beings, treats other people as objects, as, as means to an end, as things, as a baggage. This is the reason why I'm so comfortable with this language because it really indicates how we relate with other human beings many times. I was reading the book of Atomic Habits by James Clear, and he shows the story of Roger Fisher. Roger Fisher was a pilot in World War II. He became an incredible specialist in negotiation and conflict management. And the 70s in the middle of a very, very uh, war, and he was hired to design a strategy that could prevent nuclear uh, war, and he, know, he noticed something troubling. Any sitting precedent will have access to launch codes and kill millions of people but will never actually see anyone die because he will be thousands um, of miles away from that place. So he suggested, put a number in a capsule, and what you can do with that capsule is that you can actually uh, 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 imp implant this capsule in the, in the right, next to the heart of a volunteer and have this volunteer walk with the president with a butcher's knife close to him. And would the president ever feel that he wants to fire nuclear weapons, he will have to kill this human being. He will have to look at someone die and realize what death is and innocent blood is. Troubling idea. But can I just tell you something? If you and I want to be part of the redemptive purpose of Jesus in this earth, and if we want to participate of what he's doing and bringing the humanity of other people and acknowledging the sacredness and the dignity of others, not bringing it to them, acknowledging them, the sacredness and the dignity of other human beings, we need to put a story, we need to put a face, we need to put a name on other people. When you feel the urge to depersonalize other human beings, let me tell you, put a name, put a story, and that would change everything. Notice that 
There's someone else in the story that also has a tendency to depersonalize other human beings that are not part of their race. Can I just tell you who? The disciples. Their culture. That's how they grew up. But I want you to have that in the back of your mind. I'll, I'll get to that later on. Notice that later on in verse 6 and A, it says that when the demon possessed saw Jesus from the distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted from the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. See, one of the things that we notice right away from Jesus is this man runs towards him. And Jesus right away finds out the real issue. Right away, it, he, he identifies the thing that robs his sanity. He identifies the thing that robs his peace, his, his ability to, to have self-control, his, 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 the, the issue that is making him self-sabotage his own life in his own body. He right away, Jesus points at the issue and brings freedom to this man. What other couldn't do, what other gods couldn't do, he identifies what others couldn't. See, but all of this is happening in the context of disruption. There's a lot of things happening. Can I just tell you that it's sometimes in the context of disruption that the root of the issues come up. We need some of that to really identify what is the real problem. And Jesus is really, really good at that, let me tell you that. See, the issue is not only that there was a man with a demon, that is demon-possessed. It's also the way the disciples perceive other people. Their viewpoint, their framework, the angles of how they see, how do they relate with this Hebrew God and, and how do they relate with others. The disciples needed to be, be disrupted too. See, if the most important message of humanity was going to be entrusted to this man, the way they saw their, their creator and the way they saw other human beings needed to be expanded, needed to be diversified, needed to be transformed, needed to be revolutionized. We need to understand that this message not only transformed the recipient, but also transforms the messenger. Can I just tell you that once again? This message not only transformed the recipient, but also transforms us, the messengers. See, the movement of Jesus is as personal as it's communal. When you think he's only working in you, let me tell you, he's also working in others. And when you think he's only working on others, he's also working in you. Can I throw you one to make you uncomfortable? Part of our detox in the, in the church is that we need to get rid of this why savior mentality that only others need help. I don't. Oh, I don't have it as bad. They do. I'm going to go help because they need my help. I don't. And we are in such a need, friends, as others. Let me tell you that. See, one of the, when you play soccer, and I, know, I don't know, some of you guys watch, some of you are the ones who are able to kick with both legs. Most of the people don't. 80, 90% of the people can't. And when I was in my desire to pursue being a professional, I remember going with my coach and I was telling him, hey, can you teach me how to kick with my left because I cannot do it. Can you just teach me how to do this? He was like, yeah, of course. Um, 
So one of the things that I noticed as he was trying to teach me is that he spent way too much time in the posture of my body. And in my mind, after a while, I was, I was thinking in me, I was like, I want to learn how to kick a ball, not how to dance. Like, I, that's what I want. But I noticed that he, as he was just trying to help me with the posture of my body, everything had to do with the posture of my body and nothing with the feet. That as he was working in my position of my body, he's also working how I'm going to kick the ball. So simultaneously, he's working in both places without me even noticing. See, this is part of what Jesus does. Everything is interconnected. This is what shalom is. Everything is interconnected. He's integrating. He's bringing wholeness to everything. So as Jesus is working in the, in the, with this demon-possessed man, he's also working with those who are going to carry the message. Do not dismiss anything. Open your eyes, open your hearts to see what's happening on a, on a larger scale, friends. Verse 15, we keep going and says, when they came to Jesus, they saw this man, the other people in the region, the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting here dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen and told him, uh, the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. The people begged to plead with Jesus, leave the region. You, I want you to notice this. For some people, disruption meant freedom. For others, it was a threat. For some people, disruption meant an opportunity. For other one was the risk. The people in the region were so scared that their economy was being messed up, that they didn't even care about the guy. They were like, we just don't want you here, Jesus. You're a threat. But for this man, meant freedom, meant an opportunity. My question to you, how are you going to see this? See, if the disciples end up going to different places in the world and impacting different cultures, I believe this is kind of like the beginning stages of Jesus working in their hearts and in their souls. I imagine Peter telling Mark, man, when we went to this region, we thought it was about this demon-possessed man. We were going to bring freedom. We are going to change his life, and we end up being changed. Notice that they're, they, don't, they don't appear in the story. What are they doing? I don't know. They're not helpful. They're not, they don't know how to assist Jesus in this whole thing. I wouldn't either. Like, what do we do, Jesus? We run. We punch, I don't know. Like, but the disciples are present. They're seeing everything happening. And their hearts are being changed by this, let me tell you. As I conclude in the plan, I'm going to ask the band to come up. If we go towards the end of verse 8. Jesus decides to obviously leave the region. Verse 18, and he says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the, the man went away and began 
to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him. And all the people were amazed. See, I remember, I know that, that, that some of you guys that grew up in, in, in the United States or at least in this, in this culture, going to churches and having this space is just kind of normal to a certain extent. When I grew up in Mexico, I didn't experience church until I was 19. And I didn't even experience it in Mexico. I experienced it here in Vacaville. 19, 19 years of my life, I never thought there was a space like this. And I remember the small community, Spanish community, went, started going in broken, fragile family. There, there was a lot of inconsistencies. There was a lot of brokenness in my family. The, the environment that I grew up in was not the most healthy one. And I remember going to church and the gatherings were done and I would go all the way to the back of the, the, the auditorium and I would sit at the back and wait for everybody to leave. And I remember that they would come and ask me, hey, we're closing the church. And I would tell them, I just, I don't want to leave. I feel like this is where I belong. This is where I feel home. This is where my soul feels seen. I just don't want to leave the place. The beauty of it is that years later, I understood that, that my home was never a location, it was a person. That when I was in the presence of that person, my soul felt seen and understood. My soul felt like I was at home. It was in the presence of Jesus that I felt at home. It was nothing to do with the location no more. And I don't imagine this man telling Jesus, Jesus, can, can I just go with you? I'm a better man when you're around, Jesus. I, I, I found freedom when I'm close to you, Jesus. Can I, just, can I just go with you? I don't want to go back home. Can I just follow you wherever you go? I'll go with you. The response of Jesus is captivating, if you ask me. But we would think, like, yeah, Jesus, just take him with you. He tells him, no. I want you to go back home. I want you to go back to the region that the demon possess, I mean, the demons disrupt when you were there. I want you to go back to the region that the demons occupied for so long and brought disruption into this place. And when you go to that region... And when people see you, you're no longer distressed, you're no longer anxious, you're no longer uh, mad. I want you to tell them how good your creator has been to you. I don't want you to write a book. I don't want you to write a book in theology about the demonology and tell everyone about it. I don't want you to go and write a book in songs. I just want you to tell the story of how good creator has been to you and guess what guess fun guess guess this is the most powerful thing we have our story you might know the best theology and let me tell you you might know more than me but your best weapon is your story it's your story and this is the invitation to us today I have a couple questions how will you see disruption in your life? How will you engage with disruption? Will you embrace it? Will you reject it? 
my suggestion, once again, is normalize it in your life. Because if you want to see the fullness of what Jesus says for your life and the invitation of being part of this kingdom reality is that disruption will happen in your soul. As we close this conversation, we have this moment of communion and we have the moment where we remember what Jesus did in the cross for us. And you have, we have different stations where you can come and grab us, the team leaders in worship. Please feel free to come and have this moment. I'm going to ask also our prayer team to be in the size. If you feel like you want prayer, uh, you want to talk to someone, we're going to have our team standing alongside of this auditorium to pray for you. But as you have this moment, I would challenge you. Ask Jesus. If you disrupt any aspect of my life, let me be aware that you're present. Let me be part of the story that you're writing alongside everyone else. Let me see what you're seeing around me and within me.